Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I do have a good pimp. They gonna pimp me. Yeah, I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I did old uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome in to the Tim Graham Show here on 1270 The Fan. Brought to you by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, Bison, and Kirshner. CPAs and business consultants. Tim Graham is under the weather, so Jonah Bronstein and myself, Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, will be carrying the load for Tim today. We've got a a pretty jam-packed show, I would say. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm excited. This is arguably the, the Bills' biggest home game in quite a few years. Uh, nine and three, the Bills are hosting the Ravens on Sunday. We're going to have Joe Licata on to talk about that in the 5 o'clock hour. A unique challenge the Bills face in Lamar Jackson and this this offensive scheme that Greg Roman is running. We're also going to have Danielle Lerner on here pretty shortly, 410, uh, to talk about Louisville basketball, the number one team in the country, and with a Buffalo tie, right, Jonah? The number one player on the number one team in college basketball, Jordan Wara, Park School graduate, led him to a big win over Michigan last night. And Louisville, with Jordan Wara leading the way, is He's the best player on the best team in the country right now. There's a lot happening in college basketball. It's been already an eventful season, a lot of upsets, and last night had two big time matchups, um, you know, in in college hoops. And UB was also um, playing last night. They got beat down a little bit by Vanderbilt. There was a huge upset last night. Charleston Southern beat Mizzou. It's been a crazy college basketball season if you've been tuned in at all. Uh, I think most people or a lot of people wait until March to tune in, but it's already if, – if you're one of those people, you've already missed out on a lot. How do you feel about that Mizzou loss? And our guest joining us real soon, Daniel Lerner, also Mizzou made as our Matt Fairburn and 1270's own Jerry Sullivan, another Mizzou-made journalist. Yeah, Charleston Southern was losing, I think, by an average of – 39 points a game coming into that that contest. So not a proud moment in Mizzou's basketball history, which is mildly storied. Arguably the best program to never reach a Final Four, which is... That would be an interesting discussion. I never really thought about it that way. That's sort of always been their calling card. They don't have a banner hanging for it or anything, but perhaps <laughs> they should because I don't see any other banners coming anytime soon. They fired their football coach and now lost to Charleston Southern in basketball, so uh, not not a great time. But it is a pretty good time for Louisville. Ugly game between them and Michigan, low scoring, but Louisville took it to them. Defensive game, Michigan had been, came in undefeated, 
top five team in the country, and Louisville didn't play their best offensive game. We can talk to Danielle a little bit about maybe why that was, but it was more than good enough on the defensive end and overall to beat Michigan and validate Louisville had just gotten into the rankings at number one, and this was really their first test as a number one team, and they passed it so far. And a lot of times teams that aren't ready for that uh, expectations in that stage stumble in the very first opportunity. It's kind of the pressure is too much, and Louisville's gotten over that first hump, and I think that's a really big deal for how long they can stay at that perch. And Jordan Wara feels like a, an under-the-radar Western New Yorker. Uh, in that you were mentioning not a a guy that was necessarily highly thought of coming out of high school, but somebody who has really made his mark on that program. And uh, probably, is, is he the best Western New Yorker in college hoops right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he might be the best player in college basketball, or at least he's in the conversation for a National Player of the Year type player Probably will be a high NBA draft pick. How high? Might, might even be in the top five lottery pick mix. Uh, that's why he came back to Louisville, to put himself in position for that. And coming out of park school, I guess it was four years ago now. He's, this is his third year at Louisville. He had one year at a prep school in Vermont. He was the best player in Western New York that season as a senior and was considered a very good Division One caliber player. His father, Alex Wara, is the head coach at Erie Community College. People knew who he was, knew that he was six foot seven and could shoot threes and, and was an explosive athlete. But he had a bit of an unrefined game, and I don't think there was a lot of belief at that time that he would be landing at a school like Louisville. That year at the prep school, he got better. I think he got a little bit bigger and stronger and more confident. And even when he signed with Louisville, some of the high school coaches and, and the people around town, they were impressed but thought, hmm, you know, they must have real good connections at that prep school in Vermont because it seemed like he really raised his recruiting profile and, and how he was perceived nationally in that one season from where we, we saw him in Buffalo. And I still think he's somebody people don't know a lot about. I got a message last night from a student in my Bidai class who was a Michigan fan watching the game, and this was the first he had learned that there was a Buffalo player on Louisville. So obviously now being on the number one team, a lot of peop more people know who he is. But I think coming into this season and coming into that end of last season when he really blossomed, a lot of people were a little surprised to learn, oh, there's a Buffalo kid on Louisville playing every night on ESPN and the ACC. Yeah, it's not every, not every night you see that uh, and not every year really that you see an athlete come out of this area and, and get put on that stage. We've got Danielle Lerner on the line from The Athletic. She covers Louisville hoops. She covered the game last night, was up into the early hours of this morning chronicling that one. So, Danielle, thanks so much for carving out some time for us. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. What did you make of, of that game last night, the way that Louisville, you know, performed on that stage with the number one ranking, uh, you know, having a matchup like that this early in the season and, and with the, the expectations that come along with being the number one team. Yeah, I mean, I think what stood out to me and, and probably to anyone who watched that game was Google's defensive effort. Um, it was far and away um, the best effort that they have put forth this season and, and maybe even going back to last season, too. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to, to remember a game last season where they looked as dom dominant as they did last night defensively. Um, cause that's been the, the real inconsistency this season. You know, they've got 
um, a lot more depth this year. They've got more scores offensively. Um, you know, they've had some highlights that I think are hard to miss, but on the defensive end, um, you know, I wasn't really sure how they're going to stack up against a team like Michigan. Um, that's one of the best offensive teams in the country, but they really, really locked it down. We're here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline with Danielle Lerner from the Athletic College Basketball. Uh, Danielle, can you tell us, we know who Jordan War is coming from Buffalo and the player he was here at the Park School. I'm not sure everybody around here really understands what he's meant to Louisville basketball last season and now coming into this season. Uh, can you just describe what his role is and how important his play is to the number one team in the country? I mean, I don't think there's any overstating it, really. Um, you have the kid who last year emerged was the ACC's most improved player of the year, um, led Louisville in scoring, and is, you know, when he elected uh, to come back to school this year um, instead of uh, pursuing um, an NBA future, that was one of the biggest boosts that Chris Mack could have asked for. And now, you know, you're eight games into the season and he's leading them in scoring again, um, so far averaging even more than he did last season. Last season, I think he averaged 17, and right now he's averaging almost 22 points a game. Um, he's, you know, shooting the lights out from pretty much all over the floor, and he's just that guy who could be the, the go-to guy on offense. Um, and, you know, sometimes he's going to draw double teams now because everyone knows who he is. He was the ACC preseason player of the year pick this season. And um, I think he's good enough most of the time that, you know, going up against anyone one-on-one, he's going to win that battle. Um, but in the cases where, you know, there is a target on his back, Louisville has enough other weapons now, and he's developed his passing game um, where he can impact the game in, uh, in other areas. So he really just is the player that any coach would want to have on his team um, because of all the different things that he can do. He's improved his scoring by five points a game so far. All his shooting percentages are up. Did you expect him to take this next leap and really – and how much do you think that could impact where he's eventually drafted? Is he a, a better player now than what you saw a year ago? I don't know if I would say right now that he's like a a huge leap better than he was last season. And I don't think you can expect the same type of leap that you saw from his freshman year to his sophomore year to happen from sophomore now to junior year. Because that, that first leap was statistically just really remarkable and – um, that was kind of a result of, A, just, you know, fresh, freshman year, you're getting your feet under you still. Um, he got in the weight room and then was really able to take advantage of Chris Mack's system last year when he came in. So, yes, he's still improving. Yes, I think he's better than he was last year. But is it, you know, ten times better, five times better? Not quite that much. But I definitely think that if he keeps putting up these numbers, especially when they get into conference play, um, he'll be a first-round draft pick. I saw he had a little bit to say last night in response to something some of the Michigan players had said before the game. I remember him being a much quieter high school athlete around here three, four years ago. Is that maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of that fun in the post game? And is that a new element, a more vocal Jordan Wara down there at Louisville? Yeah, I think for the most part. Jordan and, and the rest of the Louisville players don't really talk a lot of trash about their opponents, at, at least not publicly. 
Um, they're all very involved on social media and stuff, so you know that they're going to see that. And Chris Mack, especially last season when they were you know only picked to finish, I think, 11th in the ACC, um, kind of used some of that to, to fuel and motivate his team. This year, you know, obviously everyone expected them to be good, so I don't think that they're playing with as much of a chip on their shoulder, but um, it was it was pretty funny with all the smoke comments last night. Um, you know, I I do think that, you know, you can have all of these accolades sent your way, and, you know, you have people telling you that you're one of the best players in the country, but at the end of the day, if someone's doubting you, it's going to get under your skin, and that just shows kind of the competitive fire that, that – Jordan has, and I think that that's not unique to him. That's something that every player who's who's playing at his level probably has as well. You mentioned that leap that he took between his freshman and sophomore seasons. I'm curious, you know what what do you think led to his development, and how how big a part of their plans he was when he was recruited there? Because you know we see him come out of the Buffalo area as a, a pretty big recruit and one of the the better players in the area, but, you know, sometimes guys like that can get lost in the shuffle at a school like Louisville. Just what was his early development like there and, and how he, you know, how was he able to emerge as, as a go-to guy last year? Yeah. Well, I think the important distinction here is that he was recruited by Rick Pitino, right? And then when he got here, Rick Pitino obviously was fired and he had to play under David Padgett, who really did an admiral job um, as an interim coach for, for that one season, but you're recruited by one coach and then you get there and that coach is gone. And, you know, who knows really what specific plans Rick Pitino had for Jordan Warwick because he didn't get a chance to carry that out. But he was recruited to be a scorer. I mean, he there's no questioning his shooting ability. Um, he has a, a really good instinct um, for how to create offense. Defensively, I think... Um, you know, Rick Pitino's system relied a lot more on, on gambling, on jumping into passing lanes, um, on on kind of playing a little more aggressive and out front. And I think that that makes sense with how Jordan played his first couple of years. And then when Chris Mack came in last year, his pack line is much more disciplined, um, you know, and, and you don't have to do that. He doesn't want you taking those risks because you have to stay in your position in order for the defense to be effective. So at times last year, Jordan was committing a lot of careless turnovers. They were really costly, and it was kind of offsetting what he was doing on offense. This season, um, there's been a huge difference in that where, yeah, he's still having a lot of turnovers. Um, he's had 19 so far, so it's not great, but the way that he's turning the ball over um, is not as bad as it was. He is much more disciplined, much more control of himself. Um, he takes ownership if he makes a mistake like that um, and works to get back and fix it. So I think that you're seeing him become a more well-rounded player now because of the emphasis that Chris Mack puts on defense. Danielle, what do you think? Obviously, this team is pretty close to its ceiling as the number one team in the country, but it, it probably has aspirations to finish as the number one team in the country in the Final Four. What do you think are the team's chances of being at this level in March rather than you know now here in December? Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think that um, the Michigan game was a good litmus test for that. Um, that was the first ranked opponent that they had played. Granted, you know Michigan was unranked um, prior to this week, but. That's a, a really high-quality, brand-name team, and they hadn't been tested against someone like that yet this season. So 
they'll get tested again. They've got Pitt um, this Friday, and then they go to New York next week to play Texas Tech, and I think that those will kind of give us some more clues as to how high this team's ceiling is. But the way they're playing right now um, and the way that their best players, um, including Jordan, but also including Stephen Enoch and Dwayne Sutton, um, are playing right now, I mean, I think that this looks like a Final Four team. Of course, it's very early to project any of that. And speaking of Final Fours, do you agree with our Matthew Fairburn, your athletic colleague, that Missouri is the best program that's never made it to the Final Four? <laughs> um, as a Mizzou graduate, uh, I would like to agree with that technically, but I, I, I don't know if I could say that. Um, granted, I didn't actually grow up like watching or caring about Mizzou basketball before I went there, so... Um, not quite confident enough to uh, fully agree with you there, Matt. <laughs> How glad were you to be covering the game you were covering and not watching Mizzou get upended by Charleston Southern last night? Oh, yeah. that was. Uh, I caught the, the highlights from that later, should I say low-life. <laughs> yeah. um, so, grateful. I mean, there were times with the Louisville-Michigan game that the offense was very ugly the first, you know, 10 minutes or so. But um, at least it was, it was a little more uh, interesting and even keel. Absolutely. Well, Danielle, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's been a, a busy time of year for you. We appreciate you carving out a few minutes. No problem. Have a good one. That was the Athletics' Danielle Lerner joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Very cool to, to see a, a Western New York product be such a big part of of a big time program down there at Louisville. Yeah, and it's going to get well, it's going to get even cooler if they're in the final four in the NCAA tournament. And that kind of spotlight, especially if Jordan's able to win national player of the year or be in contention for an award like that and possibly a national championship as a team. And then it could get even more exciting. Uh, the Nigerian national team that his father Alex War coaches, they're qualified for the Olympics. I think Barring any sort of injury or something to do with the NBA team Jordan ends up with, he'll probably play in that Olympics for the Nigerian team for his father. And then, you know, a player who's National Player of the Year and going to get drafted as high as Jordan Warrior, you would expect, could have a pretty exciting NBA career to follow. So this is, it's not the beginning. The beginning was back here in Buffalo, but this is still maybe the early stages of Western New York following and enjoying Jordan Warrior's career. And because we are pros at this, we're going to transition from one Louisville product to another. When we come back, we'll we'll, we'll have tell you plenty. who that is. Yeah, <laughs> got to figure it out. Lamar Jackson is coming to town, and he made a name for himself at Louisville. So we'll talk about that and this matchup that the Bills have coming up when we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on twelve seventy The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly... <laughs> from 7-Eleven. The Tim Graham Show. I go to a hot dog stand. As I said, I'm a connoisseur of wieners. I enjoy them. Tell me about your enjoyment of his wieners. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Sports Radio 1270. The Fan.
back here on the Tim Graham Radio Show. I'm Jonah Bronstein sitting in for Tim Graham. My co-host Matthew Fairburn. Producer Bobby Rosati. Matt, big game for the Bills this week. Baltimore Ravens, best team in the NFL coming to town. Two hottest teams in the NFL, we think. You were out at one Bills drive today. What was the vibe out there? How do you feel the Bills are handling this opportunity mentally coming into this game? Yeah, there was a lot of, a little bit more national media than you typically see. But for the most part, I can picture them using the same type of motivation that they always do. We always hear from them after the games about y'all were picking the Cowboys or we heard so much about X player or, you know, we heard so much about Baker Mayfield. Now look at us. We heard so much about Ezekiel Elliott. Now look at us. There were so many Lamar Jackson questions. I can't remember a single player generating that much conversation. Uh, around, you know, on the week of a game. Usually it's, oh, how are you going to defend Gronk or Odell Beckham or whoever it may be, but that's just, you know, one small storyline. It is the storyline of this game is, and I think it's an interesting one because, you know, I'm I'm working on a story, uh, talked to a few defensive coordinators, old defensive coordinators about, you know, what, what they would do to, to stop this because it's a problem that's twofold. You've got Lamar Jackson, who might be the most athletic player to ever play quarterback, certainly right up there with Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham, all those guys. But Lamar Josh Jackson, Allen. well, Lamar, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see those two line up and run the 40-yard dash. Josh Allen's not uh, – he's no – He's no Drew Bledsoe back there, but Josh Allen is not quite Lamar Jackson either. But So you've got this unbelievable athlete at, at the quarterback position, which is unique to prepare for in its own right. But then you also have a running scheme that some people have described to me as like the single wing. And when do you ever see that? When do you ever see that option-style football in the NFL? You just don't. And so... You're sitting there, and, you know, the Bills had a long week to prepare as a coaching staff, but you're still asking your players to do some different things. You know, you can't run any sort of defense where your back's going to be turned to the quarterback. And as linebackers, you have to figure out where the football is because Lamar Jackson is really good at hiding the football and uh, really good at, at play fakes and everything else. So... It's such an interesting challenge, and to their credit, I think a lot of the Bills players were pretty engaged in talking about it because, you know, Micah Hyde today brought up when he was at Iowa, they played Georgia Tech in a bowl game, and he said that's the only thing he could think of where it was kind of similar because it's a completely different offense that you don't see that you almost – and they had extra time because for bowl games you get, you know, weeks to a prepare. Month a month in some cases. He said they sort of installed almost a whole new defense to to prepare for and they won the game, but he said that week that month of prep was miserable because it's just something that 
you're not used to seeing and you have to retrain your eyes and and then what turn around the next week and go back to not worrying about it it's i think that's what's given teams a lot of problems is that it's not just about lamar jackson being an athlete it's about him being a part of a really dangerous scheme that that really accentuates his talents and he's got mark ingram back there he's got three tight ends who can make you pay he's got hollywood brown at wide receiver and a great offensive line to go with one of the best defenses in football since i think it's week four or week five that they've really turned a corner so there's a lot of challenges that this team presents and i think you get the sense that that the bills are are well aware of those challenges and aren't aren't uh they're not Nobody's sticking their nose up at Lamar Jackson anymore in this league, I don't think. Everybody recognizes what he brings to the table, and until somebody finds the answer to stop him, it's hard to it's hard to buy into the people who say, "Yeah, the league will catch up to him." John Harbaugh today on a conference call said the league's not going to catch up with him until he retires. As fast as he is, nobody's catching up with him. That's right. Now, what are what type of expectations do you have, should we have, for the Bills' run defense, considering they've played pretty well the last three weeks? They figured something out with the run blitzes, an overall aggressive style that has gotten more sacks and been pretty good against the run. Dallas was able to move the ball on the ground early in the game, and their yards per carry was pretty good, but they didn't dominate in that facet. But is this challenge with what Lamar Jackson can do I don't know if the Bills can really play the same scheme that's worked so well for them the last three weeks. They have to figure out a new way to approach something, and it's sort of like, you know, that's working. Why do we want to change it? What, how much do you expect the Bills to do what's been working against what they might need to do to stop Lamar Jackson? I think they have to change a little bit. I don't think you can just roll the ball out and play how you play against Lamar Jackson because he's different. That being said, I think some of the things that have worked and, you know, in talking to some people about how to play against this defense, there's certainly an element of, you know, you can overcomplicate this as much as you want and try to reinvent defense to stop this guy. Or you can really dial in on the simple things that they talk about all the time that, make us roll our eyes, getting off blocks, making tackles. It's hard to run in the NFL when there's no hole. And the big plays don't happen as often if you tackle on the first try. Really, really hard to do against Lamar Jackson and and this uh, running attack. Really hard to, to get off blocks against this offensive line and really hard to bring Lamar Jackson down on first contact. But they have two linebackers in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds who feel like the right type of matchup. Now, Tremaine Edmonds in his second season, this is going to be a test for him mentally, uh, you know, discipline-wise. Same goes for Ed Oliver, which I think is part of why his snaps reduced is some of his, his gap discipline and things like that. But In terms of the athleticism that Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds have to run and chase, that's a pretty good combination to have against Lamar Jackson. And Sean McDermott, to his credit, is... And Leslie Frazier deserves mention here as well. Those guys can scheme up a defensive game plan. 
And an interesting game I, I found, or two interesting games, when I went and looked back at, I was looking at guys who defended Michael Vick, guys who defended Randall Cunningham. Sean McDermott was on that Eagles staff that had Michael Vick's number between you know 2002 and 2006. Knocked him out of the playoffs twice, really shut him down. Super talented defense. McDermott wasn't calling plays or anything, but he was a part of that. And Michael Vick's probably the closest thing we've seen to Lamar Jackson. So I think it's they've got the right people in place to do it. The problem is you probably would have said the same thing about the Patriots. You would have said the same thing about the Rams, who had a really talented defense and an experienced coordinator. There have been a lot of talented teams that have tried, and as Eric Weddle put it, had their face peeled off by Lamar Jackson. So the Bills just have to avoid getting their face peeled off as often as possible on Sunday. And so might the fans. This is The weather's turning. This is not September anymore for not just the Bills fans, but everything gets the stakes raised in the audience as well when there's uh, snow and rain and sleet whipping around in that stadium. You might get your face peeled off whether you're on the field or in the crowd itself. And you got to booze up a little to numb it away, you know? It's supposed to be a balmy 43. Ooh, on Sunday. Ooh. So, so no face no face peeling weather <laughs> you're sitting in that there crowd. Saying. That can change quickly in Orchard Park, though. All right, we'll be back. Second hour, Joe Licata will come in to peel our faces off. <laughs> Tim Graham show. 1270 The Fan. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the whole. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Celebrating their 25th anniversary. Matt, you can find them on Twitter at CTBK45. That's Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic Buffalo. Bobby Rosati behind the boards producing for us. And we're going to be going to the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline with our former co-host. Matt, you're sitting in Joe Licata's chair, the chair that Joe Licata built in this studio. When Tim Graham used to host the show, he would have Joe Licata by his side. When he by used his to side, host the show. Helping him out. Yeah, we haven't seen Tim. We've seen Joe probably more recently than we've seen Tim. I'm old enough to remember when Tim did host this show. <laughs> How you doing, Joe? Coach of the Time and Tigers, Monsignor Martin, Class B Division champions. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing uh, I'm doing very well. Just got out of JV basketball practice. Um, yeah, headed right from football season right into basketball, but uh, doing well. Speak- How you guys doing? I'm doing good. Speaking of basketball, 
big win in the Lakata family last night. Can you tell us? Can you report that score for us? Yeah, uh, Star Point Spartans beat uh, JFK last night. Um, my dad made his return uh, to the sideline um, for Star Point, and they picked up their first win. Uh, it's really funny to watch them on the sideline because his assistant coach uh, is actually my sister, Grace. Um, so watching those two interact on the sideline has been really, really kind of fun to watch. And coming up in a couple weeks, December 20th, we have Star Point playing against Bishop Time. And what kind of interaction are we going to see? You're on one side, your father and your sister are on the other sideline. What's that going to be like? It's going to be fun to see. Um, you know, I've, I've seen Star Point play three times now, so I got the scouting report on them. Um, so I told Jason all about them. But, uh, no, it's going to be a fun game. Um, I think my family will be cheering for Timon's uh, JV team to win and then uh, probably cheering for Star Points Varsity to win that game. But, uh, you know, I'll be wearing green that day, and my my dad and sister will be in garnet. Timon coached by Jason Rowe, one of the best basketball players to ever play in Western New York. We were talking earlier about another Western New York basketball alumni Jordan Wara, what do you think about the fact that the best player on the best team in college basketball is from Buffalo? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, what he's been able to do um, and how he's been able to really develop uh, has been really fun to see. Um, he, he went from a, I don't want to say one-dimensional player because that's, that's a little insulting to him, and I don't, but, but he, was, he was really known as just a shooter, a, a, a stretch guy who could stretch the floor. Um, and the way he's transitioned his game, uh, and really worked on it and become a, a, an all-around complete player uh, has been awesome to watch, and especially not to mention the fact that he's from Buffalo and that he trains in, in Timon's gym. Oh, we didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know if that's a uh, some type of NCAA violation by me saying that, but, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to throw that out there. He does train in Timon's gym. Yeah, you just made all of your varsity basketball players ineligible for 12 games of their freshman year. Well. <laughs> they have to donate money, too. Correct. Probably. Joe, there's another uh, Louisville product on Buffalo's radar this week. Lamar Jackson coming to town. Yep. I'm curious how much you've you've gotten to watch him and what they're doing on offense, which is unusual in the NFL game yeah. from a scheme standpoint. I mean, what have you seen from from him and the scheme that that makes that's making it work so well? Well, uh, Matt, I actually had a, a couple meetings today uh, with a couple college coaches that, that come into our building and, and want to talk to our seniors uh, about recruiting them to come to their college. And one of the coaches today uh, talked about when he calls offense, he, he doesn't run what he wants to run. He runs what the players are good at. Um, so I, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing of him to say. He said, we have our system, but if our players don't fit our system, then our players become our system. And you kind of learned that that that's the best way to coach a team. Um, and that's what Baltimore has been able to do is they run their system through their players and their playmakers. And they're not afraid, afraid to have Lamar uh, run the ball. They're not afraid to let him throw it. Um, and he is incredible to watch. And uh, another guy Buffalo fans should be uh, pretty aware of is a guy named Greg Roman, who is calling plays for that Baltimore Ravens team. And he has done an unbelievable job. Um, I, I go through and watch some of the some of their schemes that they're running, and their schemes 
in and of themselves are not all that complex, but their shifts and their motions pre-snap, um, getting the defense to declare certain things, uh, that, that's, they're, they're causing mismatches and putting battles. And a lot of times the Ravens' offensive guys are just better than the guys that they're going up against. So as a coach, best thing you can do is, is, is to, uh, you know, get a one-on-one situation, and that's what Greg Roman's been able to do, and the Ravens' guys are better than the guys that they're playing against. What type of challenge does it present to have to deal with a unique scheme and a unique talent at quarterback when you're preparing and, and you're trying to coach up your team and, and say, you know, we've got to learn how to defend this completely new offense, and you might have to scrap some of the things that you do on a weekly basis? Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, I, I know a lot of coaches, they, they study the analytics of it, um, and they know if a team gets into a certain formation, uh, you know, 72% of the time they're going to run the ball. Um, and when you're facing, when you're facing a guy like Lamar Jackson, the, the numbers could say one thing, but he, even if it is a pass play, he's got an ability to get outside of the pocket and make something happen that you just can't prepare for. The analytics of the game are, are almost taken out of it when you play against a guy of his ability, um, he's just able to make plays when, when everything breaks down around him. But, but with that being said, um, a lot of their stuff is schemed, the, the, his ability to make plays with his legs. Um, and that's like, added, that's just adding an extra blocker. So from the defensive side, if you're in a spread formation with one running back in the backfield and four receivers out wide, it's essentially like having two running backs in the backfield, but you can't load the box because you still got four receivers out there. You have to worry about. So, um, they, they schematically can outnumber you in, in, in any, any formation they want to because of the fact that the quarterback can run the football so effectively. Joe, this kind of option football has been succeeding in college and high school for a long time. You could even go back to the early part of the game before the forward pass was popularized. It's always struggled to catch on in the NFL. Now you're seeing more and more teams do it, more and more teams have success with it, and now you're looking at the best player or the best team in the NFL and the MVP candidate thriving on it. Why do you think the game has evolved in a way where you used to say that won't work in the NFL, but now it's working? Right. Um, I think that the schemes are, are built off of what was done in the 1950s, 60s, 70s with the triple option, split veer, all that stuff. Um, like the zone read is just, is just the option. That's all it is. Um, but – the, the the schemes have evolved in the fact where you can run a zone read, but then you fax back a, a backside fullback or a backside H-back to lead block for that linebacker in space. So there's an extra guy in a lot of these schemes that they're running um, where it's not just a read off of one guy because these guys are too athletic in the NFL to run the, the zone read stuff that high schools run. Um, so they have to have an extra guy, an extra uh, an extra blocker to, to make up for the fact that if I'm running zone read off of Khalil Mack, guess what's going to happen? He's going to blow up both of those guys. But if you have another guy that's coming into the into the equation, which you've seen Baltimore do a lot of, um, they run it they they run it beautifully. They have a, a lead blocker for for Lamar if he pulls it on certain scenarios, or they do a zone read with an option off of it. Um, so there's two guys that he equates for. Um, 
the the schemes are are built off of the old stuff, but with incorporations of new new thoughts on it. And I think that's why it's been so successful. You're a guy that is very much a a football junkie in terms of this scheme stuff. How cool is it to see this type of scheme make its way into the NFL and have some success? You're you're bringing up the triple option. There's elements of the single wing in there. I mean, it's yeah. there's not many coaches in the NFL that would have the guts to run it, and the fact that it's working um, maybe makes it so that some teams will try to copy them. Spider Y Banana, yeah. are they running that play? Spider 2 Y Banana, yeah. Um, they, they might be. Um, no, but, but Matt, to your point, um, I think that coaches would be willing to run something like that if they had a guy who was like Lamar Jackson, but, but he's one of a kind. I mean – he he's special with the football in his hands. I mean, he's able to run the ball. Um, he's able to throw it, and, and he's. Uh, I, I'm a big believer that running quarterbacks don't necessarily last um, because it's a physical game. They're not trained to, to take a pounding like running backs are. Um, but the way Lamar Jackson runs the football is so effective. He doesn't take hits. He doesn't take big kill shots, uh, even like Mike, Mike Vick used to take. I mean, and, and that's what, that's actually one of the, one of the faults I have on, uh, on Josh Allen still is that when he runs the ball, he's still running it like a running back when he's got to be smart to stay healthy for a 16 game schedule. But, um, but Lamar, Lamar's ability to run the ball and not take hits has been incredible. Joe, if Lamar Jackson, as you said, is a one of a kind player and he, produced like this and looked like a one-of-a-kind player in college. Why do you think he lasted to the 32nd pick in the draft and teams like the Bills that needed a quarterback listed him and prioritized him below other quarterbacks that aren't one-of-a-kind talents like he is? Well, uh, I I think people are scared. We're scared of um, how he looked. They were scared of never seeing anything like him before. Um, never seeing anything like him before succeeding in the NFL. Um, but it was, it was interesting. And I loved the shirt he was wearing, uh, in, in his post game press conference, uh, press conference the other day, it just said, who cares, work harder. Um, and, and I think that you, you know, you, you watch all this stuff on, on certain guys running a certain 40 time or having, uh, they're great on the board and all this stuff, but what you can't measure is what's inside of their heart. And I mean, this, this dude's willing to outwork everybody else. Uh, coupled with an insane ability to throw and run the football, and uh, that guy's going to succeed, uh, which has been awesome to see. Let's talk a little bit about Josh Allen for a second. Uh, you know, we've seen a bit of a transformation in the last three weeks. He's a lot more efficient. The offense is a lot more efficient. They're also running a lot more hurry-up, no-huddle type of stuff, you know, Dayball's communicating with him until that 15-second mark in the headset. Uh, just a, a big turnaround for him in general, I think culminating with that Cowboys game. What have yeah. you seen seen from him that's that's allowed him to turn a corner, and is it has he turned a corner? Is it too soon to say that, that he's starting to arrive a bit as a franchise guy? Um, well, I think, I think Bill's fans should definitely be excited about where he's, where he's trending towards. Um, and I think that the sport of football in general is the one where coaching matters the absolute most. Um, 
And the fact that Dable has simplified things, uh, seemingly uh, simplified things, and, and taking uh, all of the reading portion of, of the play of the of the uh, of the play out of Allen's uh, Matt, when you and I uh, broke down those plays last year from the athletic for the athletic, uh, a lot of Allen's big plays were based off of two man concepts where he just had to read off a of one key player or one key concept on the defensive side. And it seemed like the first few weeks of the season this year when Allen was struggling a little bit, not putting up bigger numbers, um, they had him scanning the whole field and reading, you know, three to two or one to two to three, and, and, and it, it just wasn't working. Um, and now they've gotten back to the, the more simple uh, quick game stuff or, or deep play action stuff where he can take a shot downfield with deep crossing routes. Um, so I think that the play calling has, uh, been more geared towards his abilities to make a decision off of one player and, and, and go with it and trust it and, and be really good at, at fitting the ball in tight spaces when he needs to. What do you make of your, your, uh, UB bowls going bowling uh, again? Talk about reinventing that, yourself on offense. I know, I know. That's uh, that's amazing. I mean, the the way uh, Coach Leipold's been able to uh, get that group of guys to uh, play to that level, um, really getting the most out of his guys, has been impressive to watch. Uh, you know, you lost the MAC Player of the Year and uh, Tyree leaving, and then uh, you know Anthony Johnson leaves. There's a bunch of holes to fill on that offensive side, specifically and defensively. Obviously, losing like Khalil Hodge, uh, Hodges, but. Um, the way they've been able to replace those guys, I shouldn't say replace, but rebuild and um, fill spots and get the most out of the guys has is, is been uh, fun to watch, especially with, with Matt going out, Matt Myers uh, going out, um, Vantree's coming in, playing pretty well, and, and them being able to run the ball. Um, yeah, that running back's pretty good. Um, he'll probably be playing on Sundays in two years. Um, but it's been awesome. Um, I'm a little bit jealous, uh, that they're going to the Bahamas because when I was, uh, a player there, our bowl game was in, uh, Boise, Idaho. The potato which, bowl. Uh, Boise's the famous beautiful. Idaho potato bowl. Boise is beautiful, except when it's, uh, December and you can't feel your fingers and you'd rather be on a beach in the Bahamas. You mentioned that you went to a bowl game in 2013. That was right your sophomore year at UB? Yeah, yeah. And you experienced playing two more years. You guys had good seasons, but they weren't bowl-eligible seasons. What What is the significance, you think, of Buffalo being able to do this in back-to-back years, having a very senior-led group, or Tyree Jackson was a redshirt junior, and then losing all those seniors, losing guys to transfers, and Tyree Jackson going to the NFL early, and still being able to win games and not – have to clear that hurdle of rebuilding over a multi-year period. What does it mean that Buffalo is a team that can do that now consistently? Well, it's it's awesome. Um, I think that p- people don't realize how important uh, bowl practices are. You get an extra 15 practices. You get an extra three weeks of practice when you are eligible for a bowl game. So when we were practicing for our bowl game uh, in 2013, I know – we let all of our younger guys really run those practices. The older guys who were starters, we we barely got any reps in, in 10 of those 15 practices. Um, so it was really more of a developmental stage, getting those guys ready, uh, those younger guys in, 
um, getting them reps. So I think that this past year, Coach Leipold probably did the same kind of thing um, and got those younger guys ready. He knew he was going to lose a lot of seniors last year and got those guys ready to play. Um, so that's definitely one part of it. And then the other part of it uh, is really the eye test at UB. Um, Turner Gill was able to, to win a MAC championship. Uh, Quinn was able to get us close. But none of those guys were ever ever able to sustain anything uh, long-term, and I really do believe it was because of the facilities. Um, and what Coach Leipold and the athletic directors at UB have been able to do uh, the last couple years in building a, a, a an appealing uh, place to be, um, that's where kids want to go. Kids are obsessed with gear. They're obsessed with your facilities. They're obsessed with what food you have, with, with what game system you have in your locker room. And unfortunately, it is a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses, and, and that's what UB's been able to do these last couple of years. And, and now they're playing at an even playing field, and Coach Leifold's been able to do such a great job um, that they should be able to sustain it now, which is, which is awesome to see. So the Elmo's wings, a little bit of a recruiting edge for UB? Well, I, I do think so, and, uh, you know, I mentioned the NCAA uh, getting in trouble before. I <laughs> I had a minor uh, infraction for tweeting about Elmo's when I was in, in college, oh. too. Um, so, But now that I'm out, I guess I can talk about it. Yeah, um, El, I mean, we took all our recruits to Elmo's. Uh, I mean, it's the best place in, in Buffalo. Why wouldn't you? And they don't screw around. Compliance at UB is on top of things. Oh, they are. They really are. They do a great job. Um and, you know, that's a tough job, too, because you're always looked at as the bad guy. Right. Um, you know, and they're just doing their job. And, uh, you know, we always gave them a hard time. But they, they care about uh, they care about all the student-athletes over there, and they do really have a hard job. And, and uh, you know, they don't get enough credit for doing, doing their job well, and they, and they have. All right. Well, you get enough credit for doing the job well. We have you on the show. And we tell everybody about all your championships and all the games that you've won and all the records that you've broken. Your three-point record's going down this year. How do you feel about that? Man, I mean, we, Jonah, you and I have talked about this. I, I was blessed enough in high school and college to set a few records on the football field. And uh, the only individual record I ever cared about, honestly, was a three-point record. Uh, so that one's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah, Tyler Hine, a player down at Randolph that's going to play at Damon next season. I don't know how many away he is, but he shoots about 20 a game, so eventually enough wow. of those are going to go in that he's going to break <laughs> your record. He's a very good player. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good for him, and, and that's awesome that he's playing for a guy that, that allows him to shoot that many times. Coach Monaco definitely let me shoot that many times if I ever wanted to, but uh, there wasn't enough basketballs on the court for our offense. Yeah, Coach Mack might not let him shoot quite that many threes. He'll let him shoot no, it, but not that many. Yeah. All right, no, Joe Joe Licata, thanks for joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of the winning team at Niagara County Community College. And we'll be back. Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. Back after these commercials. Show. What's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that on? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio at sportsradio1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. 
We're back. Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK, Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, celebrating their 25th anniversary on Twitter at CTBK45. I am not Tim Graham. I am Jonah Bronstein. I'm joined by Matthew Fairburn, Tim Graham's co-worker at The Athletic Buffalo, Bobby Rosati, producing. Now, Matt, you cover the Bills for The Athletic Buffalo, but you pay attention to the Sabres. You're a hockey guy. What do you make of the scoring binge that they went on the other night, the Sabres winning a game 7-1? to what does that mean? What can one game of scoring that many goals and getting that kind of good feeling, what can that do for a struggling team that hasn't scored that many goals in their previous games? Yeah, I mean, it can't hurt. The Devils are pretty lousy uh, as a team. But I think, it was, I think it was much needed for this Sabres team because I think there is actually reason to be encouraged by what they're doing. I know a lot of people have, and rightfully so, got some pretty bad feelings when they turned that really good start uh, and you know went on a losing streak and couldn't get out of their own way for a while. But the way they've pulled themselves out of it, I think, is encouraging. They've played pretty decent hockey for a couple of weeks now. They've played some teams tough. They had that game against the Wild that I think started. It was sort of the end of the losing streak that made everybody think. Everybody was talking about the Sabres for days after that, how bad they were and how to fix it. And then they went just a couple of nights later and played a really tough game against Boston, lost by a goal. And since then, they've been playing decent hockey. And to have it... I think, it, to your point, it does help to have it show up in a big way on the scoreboard, especially when you're a team that has been hurting for goals. But they played a good game against Toronto on Saturday, lost in overtime. They beat Toronto at home on Friday. Before that, lost in overtime to the Calgary Flames. Calgary, my favorite <laughs> team, where the Flames play. Lost I shouldn't say that. Not my favorite team. Tough team. Not having a good year. Not um, even my favorite Flames. I'd go with Williamsville East before <laughs> Calgary. Or Atlanta. I didn't even know Williamsville East was the Flames. They you are. learned the something same logo. New. Yep. But they're hanging on to a playoff spot right now, the Sabres. So, who knows? I think, uh, I think that Terry and Kim Pagula were pretty fortunate that the Bills were playing as well as they were when the Sabres were going through that skid. I think that's the benefit of owning two teams sometimes is you can get some heat or you can mitigate some of the heat you might be getting for one of the teams if the other one's doing well. And does it look, when things are going well for the Bills, does it look good for the Pagulas that they pick the right people on one team and so that means if you're just patient, maybe they pick the right people for the other team as well? I think it's possible. I, I, you know, I think those two things aren't as different as people would probably think. People would think, what do you mean? There's no parallel in between picking a good general manager and coach in football and doing so in hockey. But to me, you're, 
you're doing a similar job when you're trying to hire a coach or a, a GM or a president of hockey operations, whatever you want to, whatever title or whatever position you're hiring for, you're doing a similar job. Now, the question is, which is more important? And I think that's something that they're they're learning still and probably will continue to learn as owners is how to balance out owning both teams. The NFL is a much bigger deal nationally, globally. Um, it's just a bigger sport and a bigger league. It's a bigger deal to own an NFL team. So, you know, how much of their resources go into that time-wise compared to, um, you know, the hockey side? It's a balancing act, but I think when both teams are losing, there's that sense of, do these people know what they're doing? Are, are they ever going to get this right on either side? It's the common thread. But when one of the teams is f- clicking and figuring things out and maybe heading in the right, right direction, I think fans will naturally start to think, all right, Maybe, you know, we were patient with that team and it worked out. Maybe let's let this Ralph Kruger hire, you know, take shape a little bit, let him put his stamp on this team. Jason Botterill's been in there a few years now, so he's he's certainly gotten plenty of time, but I think it helps the overall patience in town. There's not that many eyes on the Sabres right now. There's not a ton of attention on them because – until the Bills are eliminated from the playoffs, it's going to be, this is a Bills town. It's a Bills town in general, I think. But it'll be even more so while they're riding this wave, which I think helps the Sabres figure things out and maybe maybe put something together in the second half of the season. So you're saying one Buffalo is a real thing. It's not just a marketing gimmick? I, I think it helps. I, I think it helps that they have this this balancing act here. I was... That's all I could think about when people were destroying the Sabres and they were going on that losing streak was it'd be be helpful if the Bills got on a little bit of a roll. And lo and behold, you know, the Sabres are playing better. They haven't ripped off another winning streak, but I think people have less anxiety about the other team in town. They just want something to celebrate. They want one winner. One winner out of the two is not too much to ask for, and right now Buffalo has that. There's always been a sense that the Sabres season doesn't really start until the Bills season ends. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, especially when the Sabres are playing well. The fans really want to revel in and appreciate that. But it does allow the Sabres to hide a little bit when they're not playing well. And as soon as the Bills season ends, there's kind of nowhere to hide. And that usually happens right around the first of the year. But it looks like the Bills are going to stretch their season out another, another week at least, we think. Maybe two, three, four weeks. And that could take even more pressure off the Sabres to find their way through a little bit of January and, and the rest of December. We're only at the beginning of December. The Bills, even if they don't beat the Ravens this Sunday, are still going to be relevant and able to take some of that attention away from the Sabres if needed. If the Sabres can win some games, then it's kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. The whole area, I think, will appreciate both of the teams but there's less heat on the Sabres management and coaching staff as long as the Bills are playing, and especially when they're playing well. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways that can make Buffalo, probably for both sports, Buffalo can be a a sneaky hard place to play because you are in that sort of cocoon and you're, you know, there's 
not as many eyes on you maybe as in New York or a bigger market like Boston or Chicago, but those eyes are intensely focused on you at all times. Uh, and you know, that's true of the bills and it's true of the Sabres. And that's a hard thing to deal with when you're not having success. And I think that's why you hear a lot of former Sabres, not so much former Bills, but former yeah, the, Sabres. The Bills don't complain, even from this drought era. Ruben Brown, now Ruben Brown was on some winning teams in the 90s, but some of these guys, they come back. Lee Evans didn't go to the playoffs at all during his Bills career, and he comes back and doesn't have anything bad to say about his time with the Bills. Yeah, few and far between, I feel like, with former Bills who who don't enjoy it. And it's probably has to do with how crazy a, a football market it is and how the fans continue to show up despite how bad they are. Recent years with the Sabres, I don't think the fans are why it's been a hard right. place Ryan to Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane won't be coming back 10 years from now saying how much they loved playing here. No, and I don't think that's an indictment on the fans in any way, but it's more just the town and the the vibe that can get created when they start losing especially when you're late in the season and the bills aren't there to to take some of the attention away it's a hyper focused you know sports market and you know the fans are i would say you know as far as fans go reasonably um plugged in Uh, i think they they know what they're looking at and they're not afraid to to voice it when it's not what it should be Another difference, the Sabres play in a building that's not always filled with Sabres fans. That's true. The Bills, sometimes there's games where opposing fans buy up a lot of tickets on the secondary market, especially when they play a team like the Steelers is one where I've seen those yellow towels take over the stadium. But it doesn't happen often. But you wanted to make a little bit of a point. Biggest Bills game the Bills have played in 20, 25 years at home, game of the week nationwide. And how much do you have to pay to get a ticket on the secondary market to go to the game Sunday? $39 on StubHub right now. That's a bargain. I think the cheapest ticket I saw to get into Bills at Patriots was well north of $200 at the moment. Approaching $300. Steelers, Bills. Let's check Steelers, Bills. And the weather's not going to be terrible. You called it balmy. About yeah. 40 degrees. It won't be a miserable now that could change, sideways you know. rain in your face game, we don't think. I'm no Patrick Hammer, so I don't want to <laughs> be. I'm not even Mike Rodak from that standpoint, predicting the weather and watching the Doppler radar. But you could get in. The cheapest you can get into Heinz Field at the moment is $90, one ticket available. Everything else is 100 plus. So, And that's you know Bill Steelers. Bills Patriots up north of 200. Bills Ravens, $39, which. And you were surprised by that. I am surprised by it. Perhaps I shouldn't be. I think you typically see the big games go for 50 plus, uh, 60 plus sometimes. Even, you know, early in the season, it could be north of $100 to get into that stadium. I think the weather plays a role. But man, that's not good. that's not good bang for your buck if you buy season tickets, right? If you can get them for $39 on the secondary market. And th- those aren't great seats. But you can get into the lower bowl for for not too too much more than that. Yeah. I it's think it shows deal. the resiliency of the Bills 
ticket buying market. It, and it goes both ways. If the Bills were three and nine and out of the playoff picture, I still think you'd see a pretty big crowd at this game. And on the other side of it, it is after Thanksgiving. The weather started to turn. It isn't as much fun or as comfortable, I should say, to tailgate, especially all weekend long. And a lot of, I don't want to call them fairweather fans, but a lot of the fans that buy tickets on the secondary market or buy single-game tickets do it for the warm-weather games and the more pleasant experience tailgating and aren't going to buy that ticket for December 8th, whatever it is, regardless of who they're playing and how good the Bills are. But I'm with you a little bit. You would think there's enough buzz and enough hype about this team that the tickets should be really hard to find for this game. It's yet another reminder, I think, that this is a this can be a good place to be a sports fan when things are going well because and this is part of the stadium conversation. It's part of the whole big picture is that because of the old stadium and because of, you know, what this team is, what this market is, you can get into a Bills Ravens game, two of the best teams in the AFC with the most exciting player in football. For $39 U.S., that's not bad. And on the other side of it, it's not something the Bills really need to worry about because these tickets are already sold. The secondary right. market, obviously NFL teams have found and ways to dip into full. that, but they're not dependent on what these tickets get sold for on the secondary market. They already have been sold for face value or season ticket holder value before they reach that market. And this place will be packed. I'm sure oh, yeah. it'll Energized. be a great atmosphere. It's just funny that you can, if you haven't yet, jump on there. 39 Yeah, bucks. you might be shooting the price way right. up. You might have found a market inefficiency. I will be back. Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. We'll be back with Joel Staniszewski breaking down the lines from Vegas after this. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on 1270, The Fan. I am not Tim Graham. Neither is Jonah Bronstein, who joins me in studio. Tim Graham is... I'm getting used to his chair, though. (laughs) I I changed all the the settings. It's lower. It's (laughs) firmer. Two weeks in a row for you in the pilot chair. I could get used to this. Tim can stand back there fiddling with the Periscope Live phone. Or the knobs. We've got Bobby Rosati on the knobs. We've neglected to mention that. (laughs) which Tim is always on top of. I make an active point to not use. One, I think that's Tim's catchphrase, too. It's like, I don't know. Does Bobby like that? How well, do you feel care. about the diddling the knob? No, I, th- I, I didn't use funny. the word diddling. Now you're putting words in <laughs> yeah, Well, no. I had to let the audience know what we were referring yeah, to. In yeah. case this is your first time listening <laughs> yeah, to the Tim Graham Radio out. Show. We're joined now for... Speaking by, of diddling the knobs. By Joel Staniszewski. Out in Vegas. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. Joel Staniszewski. 
Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. Joining us now on the NCCC hotline, Joel Staniszewski for my favorite segment of the week. Joel, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing well. We're curious how you made out last week with the Bills were big underdogs. Joel picked the Bills on this show. And I did. I, did. I, uh, I actually played them on the money line, uh, plus 215. Uh, I played them in running, plus $3 when they were down by 7 and then I just sat back and collected my money, and then I parlayed them as well with the Bears and the Saints, and I teased them with the with the Bears and the Saints. So I had an extremely uh, good Thanksgiving. And then I really, really liked the Jets on Sunday, and I decided not to bet them. It was just like a lucky, lucky break for me, because I thought that line was way off, and I decided to stay away from it because you never know with the Jets. And I was just lucky that I uh, I stayed away from it. Well, that's what Thanksgiving's all about: picking winners. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes the best bets are the ones you don't make. That too. Exactly. Everything was coming up Joel last weekend. <laughs> what do you think of this line with the Ravens, a six-point road favorite, based on what I'm looking at right now? Maybe you have something different, but six points. Yeah, most of them. Most of them are down to about five and a half now. Um, so the line, when it came out, they usually put them out a week early at um, the Superbook, at the Westgate. They usually put them up a week in advance, and then they take them down when the game is played, and then they adjust them and, and put them back up. So they had originally put up Baltimore as a seven-point favorite. Um, and when that number came out, I thought that was a little bit high. And um, it, it came back uh, right after the game. They put it back up, I believe it was six. And then since then, it's been down to down to five and a half. There's even a five in town. Um, I think that five, five and a half is is the right number right now where it should be. Um, I was looking across. I was looking at every game, and uh, what I do is I normally just look at the game and I think of what what I think the line should be. Just a quick, what number sounds right to me, and then I'll look at some simulation sites. I'll look at some some you know uh, some trend sites and kind of get a feel for numbers. And i got to be honest, I think pretty much every number this week across the entire board is a good number. There is a good number for the book. As a better, I don't see anything that really stands out that I think, wow, that's a bad number. I'm going to bet that. So as of right now, I haven't made a single bet. I've just been looking at the lines. Um, Baltimore is, is a great team. I mean, there there's no two ways about it. Uh, their they're running, they're rushing offense is tremendous. And if we're going to look at any of our um, weaknesses on defense, that's our run defense. Our run defense is, is fourth, or sorry, 14th in the league. Um, and our pass defense is third, which is great. So we're great against the pass. We've, we've shown that even against Dallas, which I was a little fearful of Dallas throwing against us. Uh, as many people have have seen and witnessed uh, Lamar Jackson is the ultimate X factor when it comes to that. He can throw, he can run, 
He's really elusive. He's really hard to bring down. If you overplay it in any way, he's going to beat you. Um, so I think that he's really the X factor, and that's, that's probably just the easy way of saying, yeah, he's really good. If he plays well, we're probably going to lose. But that's, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, the Bills have been trending upward tremendously in the last three, four weeks. Uh, but when you look at Baltimore in the last eight weeks on their eight-game win streak, they've won by an average of 19 points. So they've, they've played really well. They played a great defense in San Francisco last week and, and barely won. Um, so I'm expecting, uh, I would think about the, the game being a pretty low-scoring game, both defenses playing well. Um, but we've seen Baltimore, whether it's, it's Jackson or Ingram, they can break any play for a touchdown in a matter of seconds. And the Bills have game-breaking ability as well. We haven't really seen that. 80-yard touchdown pass or touchdown run, uh, but we've seen 40- and 50-yard touchdown passes, and we've seen Singletary break off huge runs. Um, and our pass game is dependent upon our run game working and getting some play action and getting the, the, the box uh, opened up. And Baltimore's run defense is great. They're sixth in the league. So we really need to, um, you know, Get the get our run game and pass game going, and just slow down Lamar Jackson as best we can. What do you make of you know? You mentioned that the Ravens have been blowing some teams out. Uh, you know, they didn't blow out the Forty ers last week, but they've had some pretty big margins of victory. Has that made them a tricky team to bet? And in a situation like this, where the line is you know, six points, five points, seven points, knowing that if they do get it rolling, uh, there's not a lot of room for error there. They could be that team that can can run away with games and, and really blow teams out. Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, you look at what the team has been doing, but the, the betting public is going to see what have you done for me lately. And the Bills their first time in prime time in, in a long time in Josh Allen's career. And no one expected them to go in there and blow out Dallas when they were a seven-point underdog. And uh, Ravens won, but it was a super close game. It came down to the last second of the game. Um, so if, if the Ravens had blown out San Francisco and the Bills had lost to, to Dallas, that line would have gone up to, you know, nine and a half. And if it went that way, uh, because Baltimore squeaked by San Francisco and, and, and Buffalo played all around a, a great game, that line kind of came down, and it'll probably stay right around there. Um, and you could, you could tell yourself as a betting person uh, how to, why to bet on either side, and it makes sense, because Baltimore's won by an uh, average of 19 points. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going it's gonna, to, it, if I look at it, I think it's going to be a close game. I've, I've looked at a bunch of different simulation sites, um, and the average score is like uh, 23 to 17 for Baltimore. So that looking at that, and that's you know that's just taking simulations based upon um, team record, team scores, how many yards they get, how they play defense. So the weather's going to come into it. Um, Lamar Jackson, it, it, like we've, we've seen a million times, he's really fast, he's really elusive. But when you play in snow and slush and, and wind and rain, it's, it's going to change everything, and it's going to change Josh Allen being able to throw the ball, uh, Singletary being able to run the ball. Uh, we've had, historically, the Bills have had trouble with big, powerful running backs, and 
when you see um, Ingram run, he, he just runs angry, and he's a really powerful runner. So you got to get two guys on him. You got to watch for fakes. You got to you know, there's there's a zillion things that they can do on offense that we have to keep an eye on. So the elements I think would help us if it's rainy or snowy. Um, I, I think as a whole, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great game to watch. Whether you bet on it or not, I, I mean, it's going to be an awesome game. And it's in the second week in a row that a majority of the country is going to be watching the Buffalo Bills. And the first time, or the second time, in probably a four week stretch, where the Bills are going to be a marquee national game. Yeah, and then you take Pittsburgh on Sunday night, and then you take New England the next week. Um, so, it, you know, these, these games are really important. Our first, when you look at quarter by quarter of the season, the Bills have gone 3-1, three 3-1, and one, three and one, three and one. So this last quarter, where it's the toughest quarter, you know, if we can do 3-1 and one or 2-2, two and two, not only do we secure a playoff spot, but we, we show the, the, the public and the ESPN and all the big-name people that the Buffalo Bills are a legitimate team. And they're starting to see that, and they're starting to give them the respect, whether you're looking at power rankings or, or any of those sites. But, you know, for being a team that's, you know, 9-3 and three in a virtual, at this point, a virtual lock for the playoffs, don't want to jinx myself, but you're still seeing the Buffalo Bills at number 12 or 13 in power rankings. So they're still not getting that, um, that media attention. As, as much as Bills fans want, we want to see the Bills talked about on uh, on, on TV shows and uh, on Instagram and on social media, but you're just not seeing that. And uh, this game here is going to be a huge game. So if the Bills win or even play a really good close game, we're going to get a lot a lot more attention and it's going to need to finish out the rest of the season uh, with that attention and go into the playoffs, hopefully, with that as well. So Joel's got a buyer beware on this game. Fire beware. Really tough. Um, if, I had to, if, if someone said to me, pick a game, uh, it would be a toss-up right now between taking the Bills or taking Jacksonville. Those are my two games that I would say I would lean towards. But uh, as of right now, I, I don't see anything on the board that really stands out that's a, a, a number that I think is, is, is skewed. Well, what good are you then? <laughs> I'm not you can't no tell good us at all. Who to bet on. <laughs> all right, well, Joel, who's normally good... It wasn't so good this week. No. <laughs> we appreciate having Joel on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of the winning team, picking winners at Niagara County Community College. Joel picked a lot of. Joel was a winner last week. So Joel's fitting. on a winning streak, and fitting. so are the Bills. And the Sabers have won one game in a row. And NCCC. Well, NCCC they haven't lost. The men's or women's basketball team hasn't lost all season yet. They play tonight. We might have just jinxed them, but. How about that? All right, we got to get out of here. Tim Graham Show. We'll remind you one more time. Presented by CTBK, Shampoo, Travis, B-Saw, and... Kirshner. Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. For Matthew Fairburn, Bobby Rosati, thanks to our guests. Daniel Lerner. Daniel Lerner, the, the athletic. athletic. Joel Licata, an athletic fella. Speaking of a winner. Joel Staniszewski, picking winners. We'll be back next week with or without Tim Graham. Closing time. One last call for alcohol.